today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Paul said there is no respect of persons with God. Now he's dealing here in this chapter with the Jews. They're God's chosen people. They were given the law of Moses. And because of that, they thought of themselves as the elite race of the world. And some even thought that if you were born Jewish, then you were automatically saved. But Paul said that God has no respect of person. In other words, uh, just because you're Jewish, that doesn't account for anything. Sin is going to be judged, and understand that. It's going to be judged in both the Jew and the Gentile. And it'll be judged according to truth, if you'll look back up there in verse 2. Now, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the truth. The judgment of God is going to be according to truth. In other words, it's going to be according to his Son, Jesus Christ. And it makes no difference whether you're a Jew or Gentile, we're going to be judged on whether or not we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's His sacrifice. That is the only thing that God has respect for. And we can see that on the first few pages of human history. If you'll go to Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel, Uh, Genesis chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 3, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect, notice that. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth in his countenance Fail. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee 
shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I want you to notice up there in verse 4, latter part of that verse, that the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. His offering was a blood sacrifice. It is what God demanded when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they were naked. God killed an animal of some kind, pulled its skin away and made coats to cover Adam and Eve. There was death. There was the shedding of blood. And in that first act, it is believed that God instituted the Old Testament sacrificial system. God was saying, you've sinned, you've fallen, you're separated from me. But here is the way in which you can still have relationship with me. If you will take this innocent victim and lay it on the altar, and he went through the process, showed Adam and Eve how to do it, then you can have relationship with me. It all pointed to Christ and what Christ would do for us at the cross. And Adam and Eve evidently shared this with Cain and Abel because we see Abel coming and he's bringing this sacrifice. He's doing what God required. And God had respect unto Abel uh, because of his sacrifice. But to Cain, he did not have respect because he brought the fruit of the ground which symbolized the work of his own hands. Man has always been trying to get to God in a way other than what God has said. And God has said that it is through the sacrifice. It's always been through the sacrifice. He even told Cain, he said there, let's look at it, verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, Cain, when you mess up, there's a sin offering lying at the door. It is believed that Adam and Eve built a tabernacle of some sorts right outside uh, the Garden of Eden. If you remember, God run them out of the garden, and he put some cherubim up there to guard the way to the tree of life. And it is believed that right outside that spot where the cherubim were at, they built a tabernacle of sorts. And then when, later on when we get in the Old Testament, we see those cherubim um, in the tabernacle there as well. So there's, um could be some truth to that. So when God was saying sin lieth at the door, he could have been talking about a sin offering that was lying at the door of the tabernacle. He was telling Cain, if you do wrong, when you do wrong, if you'll go and take that sin offering and offer it up and do as Abel has done, then you'll do well. I will accept you. In other words, the latter part of that verse, he said, And unto you shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He was actually telling Cain, If you'll do what I ask of you to do, I'll make you the head over your brother. But we all know the story. Cain wouldn't do that, and later on he went out and killed his brother. Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The question is this, has the blood been applied to the doorpost of your heart? God said in Exodus twelve thirteen, when I see the blood 
then I will pass over you. You know, it was just a few short days ago as we're uh, looking at this now, and this is being recorded. Muhammad Ali passed away. He was at one time the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. But when he stood before God, God had no respect for that. It accounted for nothing in the presence of God. When Michael Jackson passed away, it made no difference that the whole world wondered after him. God has no respect to that talent, ability, his singing, dancing, none of that. Whitney Houston, her voice, millions of of records sold. God has no respect for that. Robin Williams entertained the world and made everybody laugh. But when he stood before God, God had no respect to that. Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, just because he held the position of President, and as one said uh, not too long ago, they considered him to be one of the best presidents in modern history that we've had. Just because he was President of the United States, that has no bearing God has no respect as it pertains to that. Mother Teresa, all of her work that she did, um, when she stood before God, God had no respect for those works. He's looking for one thing. That is the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. God only has respect for the sacrifice. And when we put our faith in the proper sacrifice... Not only does God accept the sacrifice, but he accepts the one that's offering the sacrifice. And every time a person puts their faith in Christ, God has respect to them because they have done what he's asked of them to do. All right, go back to Romans 2, verse 12. Romans 2, verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, the phrase that says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without, uh, without law, that deals with the Gentiles. God is not going to hold them accountable to the law of Moses because he didn't give them uh, the law. He gave it to the Jews. However, he will hold them accountable for their sins. He said they perish without law. In other words, they died lost. Now, some would say that that's not fair because they didn't have the law and they didn't know any better. Well, We'll deal with that a little bit more when we get down into verses 14 and 15. Uh, The phrase that says, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law, that deals with the Jews. They had the law of Moses. It identified what sin was. You can look in Exodus chapter 20, and we have the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet, and so forth. The law told the Jews what was right and what was wrong. But they sinned anyway. And God's going to hold them accountable for that. Now this tells us something. Merely having the law, as important as that is, does not guarantee salvation. Just because you're given the law and you understand it, and it's important, that does not guarantee salvation. Verse 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Merely hearing the law justifies no one. You have to be a doer of the law. And the Jews claim to keep it, but the truth is no one's ever been able to keep the law. And God knew that. The law was given as a schoolmaster, as a teacher, to show man how inadequate he was. That's why contained within the confines of the law, we have the sacrifices. Those Sacrifices portrayed the one who was to come, the coming Redeemer, the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. They served as a substitute until he came. Now, the sacrifices showed man that he was a sinner and that there was no way that he was able to save himself. As well, uh, it taught him that he needed blood atonement, as we stated a while ago. Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Every time a sacrifice was offered up, there was the shedding of blood. There's just no way of getting around it. Um, Usually it was was a, a lamb, a goat, a bullock, a ram, or something of that nature. All of these were to be without spot and without blemish. And they all typified Christ as the innocent victim who never sinned. Um, The fires that were upon the brazen altar typified the judgment of God upon sin. Those sacrifices were laid upon the altar just like Christ was laid upon the cross. And like I said, it symbolized the judgment of God on sin. The animal symbolized Christ who would give his own life as a sin offering in order to pay man's sin debt. And that, of course, is the gospel. And let me tell you something. Just as you have to be a doer of the law in order to be justified, you have to be a doer of the gospel in order to be justified. The thing about the law is nobody was ever able to do it. Nobody was ever able to keep it. That's why they had to offer up those sacrifices. But with the gospel, you can be a doer because all of us have faith. And that's all that's required is our faith. You can do the gospel simply by putting your faith in Christ and his finished work and keeping it there. Um, 
That's the way that you can be justified before God. It means just if I'd never sinned. You think about that. Justified, never sinned. Romans 2, verse 13 again. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, let's go back up and break this down and look at verse 14. That little phrase there, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. That tells us that the Gentiles didn't have the law of Moses, but yet we see them doing by nature things that are contained in the law. That shows that the law of God was written in their hearts. Their conscience gave them some semblance of right and wrong. They had some knowledge of God's will. Paul went on to say in the latter half of verse 14, These having not the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, God's going to judge them according to what they know. You see, long before God gave the law to Moses, man recognized that there were moral issues. And he created laws against such acts as murder, Lying, cheating, that sort of thing. And that is proof that God wrote his law in the heart of man. And we can see that working there as they made laws long before Moses ever came along and God gave him the law. Now the problem with your conscience is it can be seared. We see that taking place in the church right now, as we talked about just a few minutes ago before we opened up the Word of God. We can see it taking place in our churches. We see it taking place in our nation. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. There you have it. A person's conscience can be seared. The more you reject God and what he has given and continue to buck up against that, your conscience can be seared as with a hot iron. Now, the conscience is the moral code of God, which he has written in the heart of man. Every single human being has that. It's that inner nagging of the mind that brings your thoughts to what is right and what is wrong. 
Every one of us in this room knows when we've done wrong. You feel guilty about it. That was placed there by God. It's in our conscience. Paul said, if you'll look in the latter half of verse 15, he said their thoughts, the meanwhile, accused or else excused one another. In other words, when those people felt guilty about what they had done, instead of owning up to it and admitting they had done wrong, They tried to get rid of it. They tried to ease their conscience by accusing or blaming others or excusing what they did altogether due to extreme circumstances or whatever the case. I remember back years ago, Julie was about four, maybe five years old. She come in there one day and said, Daddy, I want a Twinkie. I said, no, darling, you can't have a Twinkie. Mama's going to be home here shortly, and we're going to eat supper. And you go on in there and watch TV. And I'm sitting in there in my office, and I'm studying and whatever the case, and I hear a chair moving in the kitchen. And I hear it cracking and popping a little bit. I hear a cabinet door open up, and I hear a rustling of some boxes up there in that cabinet, and I hear the door close back, and I heard a thump, and I heard the chair being moved across the floor, and I got up to investigate what all of this racket was, and there was Julie standing there in the kitchen with her hands behind her back. And I said, Julie, what are you doing? Nothing. What you got in your hand? Nothing. And she went like this. I turned around and looked on the kitchen table, and there was a Twinkie, which had mysteriously appeared on the table. She was in an extreme situation. She blamed it on she was hungry. Poor thing was about to starve to death. So it was an extreme situation. She blamed it on hunger. She felt guilty about it. Why else would she put it on the table and try to lie about it? That's the way we are. That's human nature. God has instilled in every one of us right and wrong. It's the law that God has written in our hearts. And when we do wrong, that consciousness it, it, it tells on us. We feel guilty about it. But if we continue to go against that, we continue to go against God, that conscience can be sne- uh, seared. That's how somebody can pull out a gun in public and just shoot down uh, people and not even think nothing about it. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron because when you get right down to it, they have rejected God. Paul is saying that by easing a guilty conscience, by accusing others or else excusing it due to an extreme situation, uh, that may work here on this earth. But one day when you stand before God, that's not going to work. 
He said in verse 16, Romans 2, verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's according to the gospel. Therefore, he is God. Understand that. Jesus Christ is God. If someone says, well, I just don't believe that, it don't make no difference. It has no bearing on the day they stand before the Lord. They will still have to give an account uh, of what they've done, and they'll have to answer to it in the day of judgment. He is God's Son. He is the one who paid the price for our redemption. And to Him we must all answer. When that day comes, no one will be able to blame someone else and say that they did what they did because of extenuating circumstances. God knows. He knows our hearts. The secrets of every single heart... He will judge, and it will be judged according to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His judgment will be according to whether we have accepted His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior or not. the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.